banking in the US as well, which of course is good news for, for Hong Kong, which is mired in uh, recession. Should we take some positives from that? Well, look, it's better than the reverse, but, you know, inflation ticked down a bit. It, we'd have to see something more significant before I think the Fed will adjust course. And, and thus, it may have been a bit of a respite for Hong Kong, but, but it's a bit early to call it good news. So it sounds like, Brock, you haven't really seen an awful lot uh, to impress you and, and change, your, change your mind on either the markets or the no, economy. I, I, I think we continue on as we have been recently uh, until the news improves. Okay, Brock, thank you for your thoughts. That's Brock Silvers, Chief Investment Officer at Kyan Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Around Asia-Pacific stock markets, some modest gains in uh, Australia. The ASX 200 is up 0.1%. The Cosby in South Korea is also up about half a percent. The Nikkei 225, though, in Japan is slipping further into the red, down about 0.6%. But does look like we're going to get a continuation of uh, Friday's huge rally here in Hong Kong stocks. Futures pointing uh, to a gain of about 300 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. Thank you very much for listening. Please stay tuned. Back chat coming up after the news with Janice Wong and Mike Rouse. Uh, the weather forecast, mainly cloudy, sunny intervals, maximum temperature about 26 degrees. And then the outlook is for sunny periods tomorrow. Cloudier with one or two rain patches in the middle and latter parts of this week. Temperature right now out at the observatory is 23 degrees, 81% relative humidity. The time's at 8.31. Here's Ben Che with the half-hour news. The MTR's Chunwan line is operating as normal this morning after engineers worked through the night to fix problems on the track following yesterday's derailment at Yamate Station. Trains began running just before 6. The stretch between Jordan and Lai King was closed for most of yesterday. The government has ordered the corporation to investigate. The company's operations director, Tony Lee, said last night that workers would spare no effort in getting the line up and running. The engineer is now making every effort to resume the track and all the necessary facilities to get it resumed for service. And in the meantime, we will look into every possibility or whatsoever causes to find out what exactly causing this today event. The government is demanding an investigation from the Hong Kong Rugby Union after organizers of an international tournament in South Korea played what it described as a song closely associated with violent protests and the independence movement in 2019 in place of the national anthem. Vicky Wong reports. The song was played as the Hong Kong Sevens team prepared to play South Korea in last night's final of the second leg of the Asian Rugby Sevens series in Incheon. Organisers made a public apology and played the national anthem of the People's Republic of China at the presentation ceremony after the game. In a statement, the government said it strongly opposed and deplored the playing of the song. A government spokesman described the national anthem as a symbol of our country and said the organiser of the tournament had a duty to ensure that the national anthem received the respect it warranted. The spokesman said the administration wrote to the union last night demanding that it deal with this matter seriously, launch a full and in-depth investigation and submit a detailed report, as well as conveying the government's strong objection to the series organiser Asia Rugby. The government said Asia Rugby had apologised to the Hong Kong union for the mistake, which it said was a result of human error by a junior staff member of the local organiser. 
The government said the organiser had confirmed that the Hong Kong coach had submitted a recording of the correct anthem ahead of the game. The Hong Kong team brought the problem to the organiser's attention immediately. The administration said it had asked the union to ensure that there was no repeat of the incident when the third leg of the Asian Rugby 7 series takes place in Dubai at the end of the month. Hong Kong beat South Korea 19-12 in the final. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Janice. On today's program, we're talking about uh, the changing face of social media. Two of the biggest names in the business is in turmoil. Facebook's parent company, Meta, sacked 11,000 staff last week as its advertising revenues and share price continues to fall, while Twitter, under its new owner, Elon Musk, has sacked half its staff. As Musk himself admitted, it could go bankrupt completely. The turmoil has raised questions not just about the business of social media, but its future direction. Meta's multi-billion dollar investment in virtual reality has been a bust for now. And Twitch's paid verification system was quickly pushed on hold after imposters gleefully abused it to impersonate everyone from George Bush to LeBron James and the Pope. So are these just a blip in the development of social media? Or is something more fundamental changing? Is the age of social media on a decline or is it just evolving normally? After 9.15, we'll look at a study on children and diabetes to mark World Diabetes Day. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Now to uh, kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line technology expert Michael Gaisley, the managing director of Netbox, uh, Network Box. We also have Dr. Florence Serban, lecturer at the Baptist University's Department of Communication, and Dr. Sunny Lamb, an associate professor at the Metropolitan University, who is an expert in social media and digital communication. Good morning to you all, and uh, thanks for joining us on the program. Um, so, Professor Lamb, what's your take on these layoffs? Uh, do they just show that uh, these companies are um, not in great shape, or, or does it reflect a bigger problem in the tech industry? Thank you, uh, Janice. Yeah, I I think the problem is a very traditional action by some kind of multinational organization to buy time. But I'm more focused on about the environment of the social media transformation. Yeah, because the uh, just like Facebook and Twitter, they are a kind of very large multinational organization. Yeah, they have some kind of limitation in creativity. But I think employing some new talent uh, to increase uh, the powers to create something new for this, for this kind of techno- technological giants are very important. Yeah, but unfortunately, generally speaking, most of the time, creativity comes from some entrepreneurship in small and medium enterprises, uh, like those... Uh, incubation pro- uh, project in Silicon Valley. Yeah, because the large organization like those multinational organizations, uh, Facebook, Chitters, their organization culture are too too strong, too standardized. And 
they lead to have a kind of we call it structural coupling. That means they lead to have a kind of very genius, uh, genius champion inside the company to lead to very, very creative people to input the creativity into that into the organization. Well, Professor Lam, are you saying that they're becoming almost too big for their own good? Yes, yes, uh, exactly. And, and also because uh, the techno, uh, techno cultures, the techno cultures transformation is very, very quick, maybe about five to ten years, they need to change. Yeah. Of right. course, we can see Facebook uh, change by means of some acquisition before. Right. Dr. Serban, what was your view on this? Uh, now, Professor Lam says uh, he believes uh, the action to lay off uh, these staff is uh, just a tr- what he described as traditional action. But does it come as a surprise since uh, the number of uh, people using social media like uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter actually surged during the pandemic? Good morning. Uh, I think it's quite telling, right, that we are uh, uh, starting the conversation from the perspective of the company itself, right? You would believe that social media is basically at the end of the day created and it's uh, empowering conversations coming from the social, coming from the people, right? But as you can see, we are starting our conversations from the perspective of the companies and how they can uh, uh, reshuffle themselves in order to allow for these kind of conversations. I totally agree with uh, Dr. Sani Lem. Uh, at the same time, I feel that we need to focus more on how these companies can survive by allowing the people to have conversations as they had before because they started to be successful, right, as being tools, as, be, as being platforms for conversations and for allowing the people to uh, totally allow, uh, allowing the people to, to have these conversations uh, in the first place and then whether they find or not ways to monetize, to get revenues from uh, uh, these conversations, that's their entire internal business. What I believe uh, is the most important thing is to um, allow these companies at the end of the day to foster conversations. Right. And um, okay, let's go to uh, Mr. Gaisley. I mean, Facebook did uh, partly blame a a fall in advertising revenue. uh, for, for these layoffs, and that's a, a significant factor, I guess. But but what about uh, Metaverse? I mean, in your view, how big of a role did that play in this uh, Facebook turmoil? Well, in in the case of Facebook, um, they made a huge multi-billion dollar investment into the Metaverse. And I think the vast, vast majority of people haven't really uh, become involved in the Metaverse at all. And the number of users is, is minimal and... Uh, I mean, quite frankly, I've been in technology for a very long time now. I've been doing this for about 38 years. And yet, I, you know, I just can't really see the current model of strapping something to your eyes um, and, and, and sort of immersing yourself like a zombie. I, I personally just can't see it, which is probably why until there's a new model or, or some new uh, method of you know, creating a metaverse and, and, and sort of Web 3.0 and so on, um, it's not going to be successful. And what about the competition for the advertising dollar? There seem to be so many platforms now, um, and we're told by various gurus that if we're not paying for something, we are the product. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that's very true. Um, and... You know, if you look at Twitter and, and the debacle that's happening there, in fact, it's interesting because 
Um, your, your next program is talking about uh, diabetes and uh, Twitter. You know, with with this blue mark um, that you pay for, they managed to uh, allow you know a fake account to pretend to be Eli Lilly and make announcements that insulin would be free, uh, and and it and it uh, really hurt Eli Lilly's share price and so on. Um, it I, it really is is a mess, and that that sort of problems started driving advertisers away from Twitter and, and, and causing their revenues to massively drop as well. Um, it, I, I think the problem with social media is, you know, as, as has been said in the comics, you know, with, with uh, great power comes great responsibility and they don't seem to be taking any responsibility at all. It's just a legal thing in the States, isn't it? They seem to have exempted themselves from, from various bits of legislation. Carrier laws, where you know they, they they sort of say, well, you know, what's what's happening? I mean, for example, we're having a conversation on a telephone right now. You know, the telephone company is not responsible for what I say. However, if they created a blue check mark to say that you know this is verified and that that I could pretend to be somebody else and make a phone call, then then would the law still apply? I mean, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know, but. Uh, it, it is frightening um, what, what's happening on these platforms. And in fact, what's worse is, is the fact that um, with, with these sort of fake accounts and so on, um, there's, there's all sorts of damage that can be done that just no one's thought of yet. Um, and, and these impersonators have done a lot of damage over the last few days. Mm. And it's entirely down to how Twitter went from having verified accounts where you verified by proving that you're you to verified accounts where you just pay uh, just under eight dollars so seven seven ninety nine and then you're verified and that's patently right. absurd dr Serban, are we in for a new era of regulation it it could happen but then again we go back to the very uh, nature of these social media companies um, and their infrastructure, uh, you know, when, when, when you think about it, um, will make it very difficult because different countries and different places around the world will come with different legislation, right? So uh, it's very difficult to regulate Twitter from uh, South Africa all the way to Hong Kong because it will fall under different uh, uh, legislation. Uh, I think it's also very important to know that um, so far, in the last 15, 20 years, uh, everyone has been uh, passing the buck, right? Uh, no one really wants to uh, uh, put their finger on and say, okay, we are more than just infrastructure. We are a place where um, discussions are happening, and we should be the ones regulating, making sure uh, that what people say don't uh, go into false uh, fake news and so on. And I think all these companies, from Facebook to, uh, to Twitter, they have been reluctant to really step in and, uh, uh, you know, uh, do more work on in this regard. They, they just washed their hands and said, well, uh, we are just providing the infrastructure. At the end of the day, it's about the people, and uh, they decide what, uh, what they communicate. Uh, if the government steps in and they say, okay, you're unable to regulate, so we are going to do this job for you, these companies will come and say, well, uh, that's, uh, that's interference, right? Um, so it's very difficult to tell what is the right percentage. Probably there is always a mix between national regulations and uh, these companies 
coming to and doing their own work. But so far, they are so reluctant to, to do so. But the Twitter experience tends to suggest that the advertising revenue, which is how it all keeps going, is going to run away unless there's regulation by those provided platform providers. Exactly. But they, they, they don't want to do this because imagining that people will change their behavior just because they pay uh, eight US dollars or whatever a month, that's not going to happen. People do not change just because they have to pay for a service. Even more, they will uh, uh, probably uh, step up and be more abusive or whatever because that uh, payment will just legitimize uh, their faulty behavior. It's not going to change, change for the best. All right, let's go to uh, Professor Lam. What's your uh, view on uh, Twitter? I mean, um, we, uh, Mr. Gaisley, he just mentioned, he just talked about the paid verification at checkmark system. That's the problem. I mean, what do you think uh, is the main problem at Twitter? I mean, why are advertisers pulling out and, and why did they fire half its staff and try to hire some back? Professor Lam. Yes, I, I think this is a kind of strategy to protest or their advertising revenues, but I think, first of all, Twitter is a very old platform already. Yeah, but it makes the energy to attract new advertising money. Yeah, in the, in the social media, uh, social media landscape, we can see that many other platforms already. Yeah, and so I think the, the, the important thing is that really they need to communicate with the users to help to understand how they feel. But this ad is really, really wrong. Yeah, and that can't help them at all. Yeah. Has uh, Facebook or Meta, have they wasted too much money on this metaverse? Yes, yes, I, I do think so. Yeah, they, they really need to find, find a way out to, uh, to create some new types of uh, revenue. Yeah, but not, just, uh, not just use this kind of old strategies to, uh, to maintain their, their revenue. Michael, because you, you were saying that they, you've been in the business almost 40 years, but yes. hard, you are not following them into the metaverse. And, uh, well, no, I mean, I, I just think that the, um, the whole idea of sort of strapping something over your eyes, I mean, you can hardly walk around the street like that, right? So um, unlike with the current web, where you know, most people you know, are glued to their phones, I, I just can't see how we're going to be in sort of a matrix-esque world where people are just going to be lying on their beds, you know, with a thing strapped to their head. Um, I, I really personally can't see it. Um, also, going back to your uh, comments about the law, I mean, it's really interesting that uh, Senator Ed Markey, who, who's um, on the Commerce Committee in the U.S., uh, he recently told Elon Musk, you know, you fix your companies or Congress will. And I think that that's interesting as well. I mean, you're getting to the stage where all this craziness, you know, the, the government probably will step in in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, people purporting to be the Pope, um, we can all laugh at that, I guess. Um, but the Eli Lilly in incident was really dangerous. Well, yes, and, and it's also interesting. I mean, it, it's early days, you know, I'm not sure whether Eli Lilly will end up suing Elon Musk. I mean, who knows? Uh, it, it's... But if you allow a platform, you know, where you, you're, you're verified if you pay, I mean, that, that's just absurd on the face of it. 
Right. And uh, Professor Lam, we talked, I mean, like uh, we talked earlier about uh, different uh, issues concerning uh, Facebook and misinformation on Twitter. What impact are, are these issues having on the use of uh, social media? I think, yeah, that mainly uh, affect a lot of the audience consumers. They are so kind of very active users. They create very important information that can attract and draw the attention from other users. That is the core of the social media, how how they can become so powerful. And that, that and which the communication among the users uh, will end. Will uh, ensure and in, enhance increase the fan values of Twitter uh, and other social media as well. That is very important. So I think the generally the, the complication and emphasize on the users and their user experience are very important. Right. And, uh, well, we, the question that I raised at the start of the program um, is social media on a decline. What's your view, Professor Lam? Uh, the acquisition, I think, uh, yeah. Mm, I I think that 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 is a kind of very uh, I, I just mentioned before uh, it's a kind of strategy by many uh, multinational organizations yeah because uh, they they can't really create something new yeah for example in in in, uh, in some companies for for example like Apple uh, in in the age of Steve Jobs he will maintain many departments as a very small uh, independent unit. That's what I mean. Like, mm. Similar to some like some entrepreneurship uh, SME culture, and then they can help to create something new for the company. But if you can't do it, uh, and then the, the only way is by uh, by means of legislation. Because they, they get too big and they become bureaucratic, which yes, it, it exactly, cr exactly. crushes yeah. uh, crushes but, creativity. Very difficult. Too many people make the uh, make the decision together to uh, to make the argument. Yeah. So so they need to have some kind of very independent and genius uh, uh, department head. And the most important thing is they they need to have a, a CEO to to handle all these department head together. And then they can really do what I mean as a structural coupling and absorb those creative energy into the organization. Otherwise, if they, they have no way out and just go to find some other company they have created strategy, creative culture, and then I, I merge with them or acquire their whole company. Right. Dr. Serban, what's your view? I mean, is social media on a decline or, or is it just changing? Probably it's just changing. Um, I totally agree with uh, uh, Dr. Sunny Lam. If you are looking at a platform like Twitter, although it looks old, although it looks a bit dusty for the current time, also, uh, let's not forget that the core users, people who go regularly on Twitter and people who create content for these social platforms are the kind of people who uh, like being on Twitter, not necessarily because it's new and shiny, but because it's a place uh, where their conversations um, uh, have momentum and where they can really communicate with other people. And sometimes probably that's the trade-off, right? You don't need to have something super shiny. You don't need to have the next TikTok uh, in order to have this kind of uh, uh, trustable and fostering conversation. So Twitter was offering that, you know, in that uh, old format with uh, limited characters, it was allowing people to uh, come together and to, to have meaningful uh, conversations. We are now seeing how people are migrating, some of them at least, um, 
people that I follow on uh, Twitter, for example, uh, uh, most of them are uh, migrating to uh, other social uh, platforms. And when they do that, they don't necessarily do it because on these new social uh, uh, media platforms, they can upload videos or whatever, not because they are uh, uh, new in that sense, but because the kind of people who are on those social media platforms are, um, uh, you know, the, the people they, they want to have around. And I think in this regard, uh, social media is just uh, transforming. Probably we are still uh, many years away from uh, a time where, uh, you know, we are just going to be uh, strapped to a virtual reality headset and we are going to have these conversations right. in uh, the metaverse. Are we going to see the real Donald Trump back on Twitter? <laughs> well, yeah, that's uh, that's an important question. Even if he goes back, is there anyone still around to follow him? I think that's uh, that's an even bigger issue. Like, you can have a voice, right? Totally. We are in an age where social media allows you to have a voice, but it's also important uh, where you go to have that voice because there might not be too many ears around to uh, to listen to you, right? Right. But you you you. You seem to walk towards a point, an important point there, of of those different platforms having different kinds of audiences. Um, that you go there because the kind of people you want to talk to are also there. Well, um... exactly. I mean, let, let's let's remember why 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 did Elon Musk buy uh, Twitter in the first place? It was not the most successful successful social media platform, right? But it was a trusted one. It was that kind of platform where you can go to pick up some more. Of course, there's always a degree, right? But there was some more reliable information than on uh, Facebook or TikTok or Snapchat or uh, or whatever, right? So that's the main reason why he went there. And that's why it was an important place for conversations. But if you take away the people, if you strip away the users, right? You're just left with, uh, you know, we go back to the to the conversation. Then yes. It's just infrastructure. I mean, the sometimes Donald Trump uh, said things that were not true, but you knew it was Donald Trump saying them. Yeah, and <laughs> probably but most of the users played along because uh, they, they took what he tweeted, right, with a grain of salt. Let's remember the infamous tweets with uh, Kofifi and, uh, and whatnot. So... Uh, it was, it, in my opinion, it was not that important what he was saying on Twitter, but obviously having a platform allowing him to tweet anything he wanted, well, that was probably a, a step too far because when you allow everything to happen, you are just legitimizing all that content. And probably Twitter didn't want that and they wanted to, to dissociate themselves from, uh, from, uh, uh, from uh, what uh, Donald Trump was, uh, was saying. All the election denial. And we're, we're going to have to take a break shortly for the news. And just before we do that, uh, Professor Lam, um, looking ahead, what changes can we expect in, so, uh, in social media or, or the tech sector in, I don't know, the next year or, or two? I, I think the, um, it, it's already happened. There's a kind of shift of the uh, user's pace. Yeah, the, the social media, uh, there's a big challenge from the users, especially the younger generations. Yeah. Uh, just like Facebook and Twitter, they, they maintain a very large amount of users. They are uh, probably, I, I will mention, uh, I will 
I would entitle them as a kind of a older generation. Yeah, but for the younger generation, their personal tastes are very flexible, and then the social media platform need to change very fast to fit in their flexible tastes. Right. So, so they're not using Twitter or Facebook now. Uh, I use both. Yeah, but I mean I the younger all, generation. Yes, that's what my my daughter's always telling me that that I'm the, I'm the fuddy daddy because I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn, and uh, she's aware of those, but she's she's on these other much more suitable for younger people. And when when you were um, Professor Lam, when you just mentioned the challenges from a user because of the the changing taste, can, can you talk a bit more about that? Are you just uh, talking about the younger generation, how they don't use uh, they don't really use Facebook or Twitter anymore? Yes, exactly. Yeah, but it, it, it's very difficult to stop a social media platform, right? You you have a huge amount of users uh, for your business already. But it is on the other hand, you have a very very big difficulties to to uh, to attract new users yeah and in, indeed recently most of the increase of the users of facebook comes from instagram because they are linked together those users those young users they they register for the instagram account and then automatically create a facebook page but they never go to their facebook to see anything at all, all. right i'm afraid i have to stop you there there's so much to talk about but unfortunately we have to take a break for the news professor lam thanks again for joining us this morning that's uh, dr sunny lam social media and digital communication expert from the metropolitan university after the news we'll continue our discussion with mr gaisley and dr serban and uh, just a quick look at the weather um, mainly cloudy, sunny intervals later. The top temperature will be around 26 degrees. Winds moderate to fresh easterlies, occasionally strong offshore and on high ground. Right now it's 24 degrees, relative humidity 79%. It will be held to account. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Monday morning with Mike Rouse and me, Janice Wong. This morning, we're talking about the changing face of social media with two of the biggest names in the business, Facebook and Twitter, in turmoil. Facebook's parent company, Meta, sacked 11,000 people last week as its advertising revenues and share price continues to fall, while Twitter, under its new owner, Elon Musk, has sacked half its staff as Musk himself admitted it could go bankrupt completely. Still with us on the program is technology expert Michael Gaisley, the managing director of Network Box, and also on the program is Dr. Florence Serban, lecturer at the Baptist University's Department of Communication. And uh, just before the news, uh, we heard from uh, Professor Lam about when he was talking about uh, um, what he ex- what sort of changes he expects in social media and the tech sector in the future. Um, maybe Dr. Serban, you can uh, share your view. I mean, what kind of changes do you expect? I mean, he, he was talking about how he expects the younger generation to uh, um, move away from Facebook and Twitter. What's sure. Yes, at the end of the day, I think we can all agree on some uh, of the basics, right? We cannot really have social media without content. So in this regard, I still believe uh, content is king because ultimately people are attracted and people flow to these uh, uh, social media platforms if they can get meaningful content, if they can have meaningful conversation with other people, uh, and so on. It's probably necessary for the younger generation to have, uh, uh, you know, um, algorithms.
content that will uh, take them on a journey and so on. But ultimately, if you are thinking about what makes a social uh, media platform more, um, uh, you know, more going to than others, it will probably uh, be the content. And that's one of the main reasons why a platform like Twitter was, um, uh, you know, was uh, successful in the first place and why people wanted to have that, although from uh, a technological perspective, is not the most advanced one, right? So I can imagine that in the future, these uh, core characteristics will still be uh, important. And, you know, it's very difficult to, to read into this future because people get it wrong. I mean, if Elon Musk can, uh, can get it wrong with Twitter, I think we can all agree that no one can, uh, can really uh, foresee the future and, uh, and have a clear idea of, uh, of what will happen. And Mark Zuckerberg seems to be getting it wrong with, with his metaverse. Exactly. I think, I think he, he, he's even uh, worse. But, you know, that, that's always an attractive uh, prospect. If uh, you look around at how social media platforms uh, have been evolving, uh, let me tell you, you know, like I think in the past 10, 15 years, everyone was uh, thinking and everyone was betting on this idea that maybe in the future we will go one step further. Probably we are not ready for that. And honestly, I don't know if we will ever be ready for that. Right. After the pandemic, we, we realized that we appreciate more getting together, being in the same room, being present into conversations than to just uh, uh, strap on a virtual reality headset and talk to people from, uh, from around the All world right. uh, remotely. Michael, I'm, I'm struck that by the advances and improvements that the, the technology associated with social media have brought to our lives, um, the, the improvements the ability to talk to people on the other side of the world and see them at the same time, and, and it's free of charge. It's, it's just amazing. Yes. Um, I, I went to boarding school in, in England from the age of seven, and uh, communicating you know, with, with family members was nigh on impossible and incredibly expensive. Yes, I Nowadays, remember. it's just free and, and instantaneous. I mean, that is amazing. But right. one word that was mentioned earlier, which I think probably we should have discussed uh, right at the beginning is the word algorithm. Um, mm. Algorithms control these social media platforms. And unfortunately, um, as, as we could see in the Cambridge Analytica instance, um, and then, you know, the sort of toxic nature of how these individual silos of people have become around the world and, and in the U.S. sort of, you know, leading into insurrection and so on. Um, social media can be incredibly dangerous. And they can also focus everybody to their point of view, where you only get to speak to people that think like you. And then it just becomes intensified to the point where originally somebody might feel a certain way slightly. But, you know, over, over time, they just become a fanatic because of social media. This raises the whole issue of, of national security, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I mean... It, it, the fact that the U.S., you know, they're still debating whether Donald Trump is guilty for uh, creating an insurrection. I mean, I, I don't know whether they live on the same planet as I do, but it's pretty blindingly obvious that he did. But the social media platforms, I think, enabled it. Right. Well, I'm thinking at, at one point, I think it was our friends, the Americans, were claiming that TikTok was a threat to national security. But all the clips I get, 
people send me from TikTok as far away from serious subjects as uh, I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's another attack on China, isn't it? Uh, yes. I, I'm getting very tired of um, the U.S. and then the, the West, quote-unquote, under pressure from the U.S., uh, trying to attack China on every front. And then on a more serious note, because I'm involved in cybersecurity, I mean, that, that's my day job, um, and in cybersecurity I'm extremely worried that Hong Kong is mostly protected, uh, once again, quote-unquote, by U.S. technology, which um, if, if the U.S. Is, is trying to put pressure on Hong Kong, um, it, it has various backdoors and vulnerabilities and so on that, that, that can bypass that security. And that worries me a lot more than TikTok. All right. What sort of shape could some of these threats take? Well, um, at extremes, you know, you, you, could, you could have them shut down critical infrastructure, power, gas, um, government departments, finance. Um, it, it, it's really extremely worrying, but it's, it's probably scope for a whole other program. Yes, I mean, I, I often think well, the reason we have some safety caps on pill bottles is because somebody somewhere doctored a pill and then tried to blackmail the company producing that medication. Uh, are we going to see similar things in, in social media, or are we already seeing them? Well, I think in, in social media, uh, I, I mean, this, this, this is the obvious problem. I mean, who should police the police, as it were? Um, because if the social media platforms don't police themselves, in the end, somebody's going to have to get up and do it. But the problem is, if it's somebody like a Donald Trump, then you're going to introduce even more problems than exist now. And in fact, if, if you look at uh, Twitter and, and, and Elon Musk take over, um, it, it's quite frightening that as soon as he took over, pretty much, he literally told people to go out and vote Republican. And that's something that we haven't really you know, seen before in that direct fashion, where um, there isn't even the pretense of trying to be impartial. It's just, you know, go and do this, because I'm telling you to do it. Um, I mean, that, that's quite amazing for, once again, people that grew up in an age where radio and television had to be fair and balanced, you know. It didn't seem to work in the midterms. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> Dr. Serban, what are the abuses that you worry about? I think the most concerning part is that we are moving away from the conversation of what social media platforms should be. I think power usually brings abuse when this is uh, not uh, being accounted for. I think when we are focusing so much on one rich personality buying a social media platform, we forget exactly that that platform was successful and that platform was functioning not because of who was owning it or who was running it, but because of the people who were creating uh, the content and the conversations on them. And as long as we are moving away from that and as long as we are believing that there is a fix-it-all uh, solution like uh, uh, having, uh, you know, a blue uh, uh, tweet, a uh, blue chip next to your uh, name if you are paying for that, uh, no, that's not going to fix, that's not going to solve uh, anything. It, let's, let's remember that whatever happened in the U.S. on January 6th started on Twitter, right? It was a powerful platform because of the people who got on it and because of the conversations it was able to foster. But obviously it can be used in the wrong direction, right? Because if some powerful people um, 
are deciding to uh, to um, have uh, some misconduct, to have some mischief on these social media platforms, they will be able to do it. So this is my my main concern at the end of the day: how these platforms are susceptible to uh, to take over, and how little accountability we have for these uh, uh, social media platforms. Do you think they'll become, to some extent, self-correcting if people? Uh, turn off, turn off them, and and switch to other platforms. No, because I think the problem the problem will just move away, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you are just moving a problem from one platform to yes. another. And yeah, of course, I think TikTok is not so susceptible to that because TikTok being uh, uh, pushed forward by algorithms, uh, you know, the content will always be fun, entertaining. It will be the kind of content that will one to keep you on the platform, right? It will stay away from very serious conversations because, you know, uh, young people, uh, and I sound like an old person now, <laughs> and I don't want to do that, but usually young people, they like the fleshy content, right? They want to stay on the platform because they are being entertained and they are not being challenged, whereas platforms like Twitter, you know, they can be uh, more um, uh, 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 more powerful in this way because they can have more, uh, more serious content. But I'm really worried about the fact that one person, whether it's Elon Musk, uh, Zuckerberg, or whatever, you, you name it, one person can have so much influence and can decide overnight how these platforms will uh, go, whether voting for one uh, tribe uh, or another, or whether pushing people to do things that are uh, outside of the law. Right. And so far, we've been uh, looking at uh, Facebook and Twitter. And uh, um, what about uh, the overall tech industry? I mean, uh, we've seen companies like Google and Amazon. They've announced uh, hiring freezes. What's going on in the uh, tech industry? Um, Dr. Serpin? Uh, I think that's that's a a bit of a a larger subject that will require an even uh, longer conversation. Every platform and every kind of uh, tech industry will have a different revenue stream, right? Uh, people are still online and people will continue to be online. The question is whether these companies are able to find um, uh, the recipes and find the tools to monetize that while still allowing uh, uh, meaningful uh, conversations. And I don't think all, uh, I don't think, uh, uh, all the, the, the platforms have this uh, recipe in place for the time being. All right. Well, I... I'm still going to enjoy the benefits of this technolog- technological advances. Um, I am on Facebook because I'm an older user, uh, and I'm all, but I, I really love uh, WhatsApp, I've got to say. All right, just, just finally before we wrap up, um, Mr. Gaisley, what was your view on uh, what's, uh, um, you know, how social media will be changing in the next few years? I already asked Dr. Servan that question earlier. Well, I, I really think that uh, given the the way that it becomes toxic uh, when when it goes to extremes, I think sooner or later that has to be fixed by the platforms or government will step in and, and do something um, because it is frightening how you're, you're almost getting self-brainwashing by communities of users and you know, the algorithms control it. And at the end of the day, um, as just been said, you've got a few billionaires who are controlling their algorithms and then the algorithms are controlling the the majority of the population. I mean, that's that's got to be looked at. I mean, otherwise you're going to have even worse cases uh, than than happen in the U.S. 
Um, I, I, I really think that we have to take it seriously as a society or else we're going to get something seriously bad happen. And if you look at these um, management systems that people like you know, that Facebook has, for example, where they block you for having said something, quite often the algorithms are actually wrong and they have this elaborate process of appeal, which is nonsense. All you're doing is going in a big loop over about sort of 30 days and uh, nothing happens you, you, and, and, and sort of the, the banning ends and uh, they, they didn't have to invest any time, energy, you know, it's just more you petered out and probably you were angry on the first day and by the time it ended, it ended and, 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 and you, you know, let it go. Um, and, and just the whole thing is controlled by algorithms. It, it's really quite frightening that there's no accountability. All right, all right, so Mr. Gaisley, oh, we have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. And that's uh, technology expert Michael Gaisley, the Managing Director of Network Box. Many thanks also to Dr. Florence Serban, lecturer at the Baptist University's Department of Communication. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. It's now coming up to uh, 18 minutes past nine and it's uh, time to turn to our final topic today and it's about children and diabetes. A study by Youth Diabetics Action shows that more than 40% of children with newly diagnosed type 1 diabetes suffer from diabetic ketoacidosis or DKA, a serious complication that can be life-threatening. To tell us more, we're joined on the line now by Dr. Sarah Poon, medical advisor for the group. Good morning, Dr. Poon. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, now, before we get to uh, the actual findings of your study, can you uh, tell us what diabetic ketoacidosis is? Well, basically, um, it's a serious complication that affects people with diabetes, especially those with type 1 diabetes. So it can, pre- it can be present at diagnosis of type 1 or in those with poorly controlled disease. So it basically happens when our body doesn't have enough insulin to allow the blood sugar to go into our cells for use as energy. So instead, our body needs to use alternative fuel, and that would be breaking down the fat um, for alternative energy. And in the process, that produces ketone. And when too much ketone is produced, they build up, they build up to a dangerous level in our body. And it is a certainly a medical emergency that needs to be treated right away, especially among the young children. Um, sometimes we do see brain injury, which can occur and which may leave um, permanent damage. And other than that, um, electrolytes can become very abnormal and that can be life-threatening as well. What do we know about the causes of this? Well, the causes is basically because one hasn't had enough um, insulin inside our body and that, uh, in terms of type 1 diabetes, the cause is multifactorial. It can be related to genetic factor, ethnicity, and also ultimately autoimmunity, where our body produces some um, antibodies against the beta cells of the pancreas, such that these cells are no longer able to produce enough insulin. If we're seeing a rise in this situation what are the causes are they lifestyle or, mm. or dietary or exercise or what what's leading to this increase well um 
Well, compared to type 2, which happens in the elderly, um, type 1 diabetes is totally not related to unhealthy lifestyle, you know, getting obese. It's nothing like that. So um, the causes might be multifactorial, as I said, um, related to, you know, a little bit of um, environmental triggers due to more westernized um, lifestyle and also because of, you know, Hong Kong being a multicultural um, society, we do have um, a mix of um, Chinese and uh, Western um, children uh, compared to, you know, other Asian countries where it's completely um, Asian ethnicity. Right. So um, your study found that uh, more than 40% of children with a newly diagnosed type 1 diabetes suffer from uh, diabetic ketoacidosis. Um, can you tell us uh, other findings uh, from your study? Well, um, other than that, um, this rate is actually much higher compared to other well-developed countries. So um, we found that this complication, uh, such as a DKA, is especially common among the younger children. And these younger children, they tend to come to us with more severe DKA. And the common symptoms that they present with are like um, being very thirsty, urinating a lot, vomiting, uh, weight loss, and sometimes um, deep and fast breathing, which is very unusual at that age. And in Hong Kong, um, uh, unfortunately, more than 80% of these children with DKA would need to be taken care of in the ICU, so the intensive care unit. But um, um, fortunately, we have not seen any death cases um, in the past decade um, due to DKA. What do you think we should be do doing more of? Well, I think um, we should be increasing the public awareness um, around teachers and parents on the early symptoms of diabetes such that our children can be brought to medical attention early on because if you have a timely diagnosis and prompt treatment, then that can definitely make a difference um, to the outcome. So um, YDA, which is um, Youth Diabetics Action, um, is a local NGO which um, plays an important role in advocating for um, children with diabetes. And actually for, for Blue November, which is the Diabetes Awareness Month, um, a number of activities and fun events have been organized to help, you know, raise the public awareness of diabetes. So um, do check out on that. Yeah. And earlier you mentioned uh, that uh, more children, uh, there, there are more children with type 1 diabetes now. Um, what is the uh, main reason for, for this increase? Is it partly because uh, people are, are now more aware of the illness, so they um, get their children checked earlier? Well, um, maybe it's not too much related to the increased awareness, but we do see that um, children, um, they do present earlier on sometimes if their awareness is um, better. But um, ultimately, the rate of, you know, increase in the number of children with type 1 diabetes is um, multifactorial. As I said, it could be related to um, ethnicity, genetics, uh, autoimmunity, rather than just, um, you know, parents being more aware of it. Because um, even if they are not aware of the symptoms, ultimately, if they become very ill and if they are brought to, you know, the public sector, to the A&E, they would be diagnosed with the disease as well. We can't, obviously, people can't do anything about their ethnicity, but what can they do? What can they do in general terms? Well, in general, I think it's to you know recognize that um, these non-specific symptoms, like um, having tummy pain, vomiting, 
um, shortness of breath, it might not be, you know, uh, a flu or, you know, it might not be just a simple gastroenteritis. So it might be childhood diabetes, which needs early treatment. But of course, in terms of lifestyle and diet, there really is not much that we can do in terms of preventing um, type 1 diabetes. Yeah. And what about type 2 diabetes, which is uh, related to lifestyle and diet? Is that on a rise? Yeah, yeah. So uh, unfortunately, well, as you, as you can imagine, with the COVID pandemic, um, there are definitely more children being overweight and obese in Hong Kong. And um, we, we are seeing an increase in the number of children being diagnosed with type 2 as well um, nowadays. So um, roughly in the past one year, we had around 80, um, 80 new cases of type 2 di- diabetes diagnosed in the whole um, public sector. So that is something that we have to work on because, um, you know, children have become very sedentary during the COVID pandemic. So get them to do more exercise, more sunshine exposure, uh, more healthy diet would definitely um, help to prevent um, d- the development of type 2 diabetes. So type 2 is something that we can work on to prevent it. And how does the uh, children diabetes situation in Hong Kong compare to uh, other places? Well, for, um, you know, for type 1, um, compared to westernized countries, definitely we are still uh, way below uh, in terms of the incidence and the new cases. Uh, as I said, because there's a very strong uh, genetic predisposition, uh, strong genetic factor. Um, so the white people, um, the Caucasians, are more affected by the condition. Um, but compared to other Asian countries, um, you know, we are more or less the same or slightly higher um, compared to other Asian countries. For type 2, um, definitely we are seeing a rise. Um, but of course, compared to the obesity pandemic in the States, or in other westernized countries, we are still doing slightly a better job. Are but, of course, we are seeing a rise on that. Are our medical professionals sufficiently alert to the diabetes situation? I think whenever I go for my annual medical, I'm always asked various <laughs> questions, and he regularly checks my blood to see if there are any signs of diabetes. But people yeah. asking? Yeah, I think um, in general... Um, we do have a strong awareness of type 2 diabetes, which affects, you know, a whole population of elderly or, you know, um, more grown-up um, people with unhealthy lifestyle. But the awareness for type 1 is pretty low amount, you know, um, you know, general practitioners, probably because we are having less compared to, as I said, westernized country. So we are less aware of the non-specific symptoms, as I said, like, um, you know, urinating a lot, uh, we do see cases being missed um, and being misdiagnosed as gastroenteritis for weeks before they actually become very ill and coming to the emergency department are uh, almost comatose. So we do need to work, you know, even within the medical community, we need to work on to increase the awareness of type 1. And when we talk about uh, type 1 and type 2 diabetes, are, are they um, treated in the same way? Um, no, no, definitely not. So type 1 is what we call insulin-dependent um, diabetes because their body is not able to produce enough insulin, so they will be dependent on insulin injection. So whenever they eat, they will be doing their insulin injection to control the blood sugar. Um, as for type 2, there are a number of drugs that are available, so many of them are taken orally. So if they have just, you know, um, a mild type of type 2 diabetes, so they, they can be treated with oral medication. So that is much more convenient compared to type 1, where they would need to inject whenever they have a proper meal.
Right, and for type 2, you can make lifestyle changes and dietary changes to help. Yeah, definitely. That would help a lot in terms of the uh, blood sugar control and um, the weight and everything. And uh, today is uh, World Diabetes Day. Um, what advice uh, do you have, uh, just finally, what advice do you have for uh, um, parents? Well, for parents, um, you know, for the non, non, you know, parents without a diabetic kid, hopefully um, we can all be, you know, more aware of the early symptoms of diabetes such that our children, you know, can be brought to be seen by a medical professional early on. And, uh, you know, for other parents out there, it's just to understand that even though um, diabetes is a lifelong condition um, where a definitive cure is not immediately available at the moment, um, these diabetic children can actually live um, pretty normal life just as any other if, if their blood sugar and their diet is well managed. So they can take part in whatever sports, food trips, um, travel and so on with the support from everyone and um, these diabetic uh, children shouldn't be held back because of their medical condition. So hopefully our society can fully embrace um, these children. All right, uh, Dr. Poon, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Dr. Sarah Poon, medical advisor for Youth Diabetes Action. And many thanks also to uh, all of you who uh, commented or emailed us and, of course, to our guest presenter, Mike Krause and producer Yuki. Now uh, here's the weather, um, mainly cloudy, sunny intervals later. The uh, top temperature will be around uh, 26 degrees. Winds moderate to fresh easterlies, occasionally strong offshore and on high ground. And the outlook, sunny intervals tomorrow and cloudier with one or two rain patches later this week. Right now, the uh, temperature reading at the observatory is 24 degrees and uh, the relative humidity is 79%. Have you received influenza vaccination and COVID-19 vaccination? Both are equally important. Getting influenza and COVID-19 at the same time may lead to more serious illness. Receiving the flu jab may reduce the chance and length of staying in hospital. Protect yourself and those around you. Get both jabs early. Keep influenza away. Get the jab every year. Please visit chp.gov.hk. It's 9.30, the news with Ben Chay. China specialist Mark O'Neill says the stakes are extremely high at talks expected to take place between Presidents Xi Jinping and Joe Biden today. The two leaders are meeting on the sidelines of this week's Group of 20 summit in the Indonesian island of Bali. Mr. O'Neill says Sino-U.S. relations are the worst they have been since 1979. The government has demanded that the Hong Kong Rugby Union investigate how a song associated with the 2019 protest movement came to be played instead of the national anthem at a tournament in South Korea.